This Choircast podcast is brought to you by The Joy of Letting Go by Kevin Sweeney. When one of the great living mystics, Richard Rohr, writes, all great spirituality is somehow about letting go. Do we just skim by it and look for the next great quote? Or do we allow this truth to utterly change our relationship with God, humanity, and reality itself? And if we accept letting go as the key to transformation, the question becomes how? How is each life-altering step of the spiritual journey somehow about letting go? Well, my new book, The Joy of Letting Go, is the answer to that question. My dream is that everyone who reads this will open up to the possibility that to engage everything from the concrete to the cosmic and from the tiniest arguments with your partner to the biggest social tragedies of our time without losing our joy, we have to learn how to let go. Hello, this is Keith's mom, Joyce Giles, and I don't listen to podcasts, but if I did, I'd probably listen to a second cup with Keith because I like my coffee and I like hot caffeinated theology. So why not? Well, hello everyone and welcome back to Second Cup with Keith. I'm your host, Keith Giles. And in this episode, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about Satan. Yes, the devil. And in kind of a follow-up, I guess, or a similar uh, vein of the way in the last episode, I talked about the sort of evolving Christology that we notice from the Gospel of Mark through Matthew and um, Luke and then John and then in some of the later epistles of Paul. You know, there's this higher Christology, right? So <clears throat> it's a similar thing when it comes to this topic of Satan in the Bible. Now, you also know if you've listened to this podcast uh, in the past, if this isn't your first episode, then you know that quite often I will point out the fact that our English translations of the Bible are kind of a mess and they don't do us a lot of favors when it comes to really trying to study um, certain doctrines and topics because throughout history, uh, translation teams are typically uh, funded by certain denominations that have certain preconceived ideas about what the Bible needs to say. Um, and sometimes they help it along a little bit in the ways that they translate those scriptures. And um, this is another topic, just like those others that I've mentioned in previous episodes, where we kind of have this going on, where um, there has been an effort to, uh, and certainly in commentaries, maybe not so much in translations, although there is a little bit of that, but certainly in, in Bible commentaries throughout the Bible, there's an attempt made to sort of smooth things over and have things that are said in maybe some older, maybe Old Testament passages, um, you know, harmonize better with statements made in, let's say, some New Testament passages. So um, where do we begin? Well, I guess I'll start off by saying that um, this is usually a shock to a lot of people, so um, we'll start off with this one because <laughs> it's a big shock. Um, the idea that um, Lucifer, Lucifer is not Satan. Lucifer and Satan, or Lucifer and the devil, uh, they are not the same. And in fact, in the Old Testament, technically, um, Lucifer 
that name doesn't appear anywhere. So depending on the translation you're using, it might say Lucifer, typically King James. Um, but that was a mistake. That was a misunderstanding. The translators didn't really know what some of the words meant. And they, um, well, let's just get into it, I guess. So if you turn to um, Isaiah 14, let's say in verse 12, It'll say, oh, how you have fallen from heaven. And again, depending on the translation you're using, oh, Lucifer, son of the dawn, you have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations, but you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. And I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to shale or to hell, again, depending on translation, to the recesses of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you. They will ponder over you, saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook the kingdoms? Now, again, depending on what translation you are looking at, it will say either Lucifer there, or it'll say, O star of the morning, or, or the morning star. Okay, so what's going on here? Well, Lucifer kind of crept in as a character, as a name into Isaiah 14 uh, through, again, like I said, the King James translators. So um, in the King James, Isaiah 14, 12 says, uh, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? And so the, the, um, the mistake kind of got passed around that, oh, well, Satan's name must be Lucifer. Maybe that was his angel name before he fell. We're going to talk about that as well. Um, but what's fascinating is that the Hebrew word that the King James translators translated as Lucifer, as if it were someone's name, that's not what it means. Um, and so later and more accurate English translations uh, of the passage will say, as I just read, how you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning. Okay, Lucifer is the Latin word for the one who brings the light, the light bringer, or the morning star. And so that's why sometimes it'll, instead of Lucifer, it'll be morning star. So, um, you know, if you look at the actual passage, like if you, instead of just jumping to Isaiah 14, 12, and starting to read from there, and you back it up, what you will realize is that that whole passage is addressing a human being, a person, which is why it ends by saying, um, is this the man who made the earth tremble and who shook kingdoms. Uh, it's a person. It's a man, and specifically it's a king, the king of Babylon. And his name wasn't Lucifer either. Um, the king of Babylon is compared to the morning star. And so we're not saying, in fact, so uh, the author here, uh, Isaiah, is not saying that the king of Babylon actually is the morning star. No, he's saying that, you know, you act as if you are the morning star. You are behaving as if. You are the one who brings the light, and yet you are the one who is going to be struck down. So it's addressing more the king of Babylon at the time, that he was prideful, that he compared himself to God. And again, all the language there is him saying, I will ascend to the heavens. I'm godlike. Right? This happened quite a lot throughout history with uh, dictators right, who started to think that they were God. That goes all the way back to the pharaohs as far as we know, and then it, can, it carries forward all the way to the Caesars um, and everyone in between. So um, that word Lucifer, if it is in your King James translation, it really is only there twice. And now here's the shocker. <laughs> in the Old Testament, uh, it appears right there, again, in the King James. 
uh, in this reference to the king of Babylon uh, and its prophecy against him, right? Um, but it also appears in Second Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 19. And it says this, So we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star, which is Christ, arises in your hearts. I guess that's not true. It's not, it's not only twice. It does actually appear in some other places as well. The, the morning star terminology anyway. Uh, Revelation 20, well, Revelation 2, 27 says, Jesus says, as I also have received authority from my father and I will give him who overcomes the morning star. So again, if you think morning star is Satan, then that Revelation 2, 27 is, is a big head scratcher, right? It's like, wait a minute. Why is Jesus going to reward people with Satan? No, it's the morning star. Again, the morning star is this, it's a metaphor really for, for Christ or the Son of God or someone who is like Christ or like God, right? It's the, the morning star, the light bringer. Um, and in Revelation, it's also repeated in Revelation 22, 16, where again, Jesus is speaking and he says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David the bright and morning star. So the, the, the term morning star or Lucifer is a title that Jesus claims for himself uh, in Revelation and a title that Second Peter, the author of Second Peter, whoever that was, certainly not the disciple Peter, but that's another podcast. But the, the author of Second Peter uh, also attributes that, that title, the morning star, to Christ. So, we're going to talk about who is Satan or what is Satan. It, whatever it is, it's not Lucifer. Lucifer is not the bright and morning star. The word Lucifer shouldn't even be in anybody's Bible. Therefore, should not be in anybody's mind uh, or on anyone's lips. Lucifer has absolutely nothing to do with Satan. And if anything, Lucifer is a title. It means the light bringer or the bright morning star. And that person is Jesus. Lucifer is Jesus, according to the scriptures, because it just is a title, uh, again, which means morning star or light bringer. Okay, so we've dealt with that. I talked at the beginning, you know, just a minute ago about how similar to the uh, evolving Christology that we see in the Gospels about the identity of Jesus, and we talked about in the last episode, um, it's a similar thing with the the uh, development of this being that, you know, is called the devil or Satan or, or Hasatan, the accuser. So let's back up and look at that. So most Christians, if you were to say to them, if they were biblically literate, right, they had read the Bible, studied the Bible for any length of time, um, and you were to say to them, hey, turn in the Bible to the first and earliest reference in the Bible to the devil. Where does the devil, where does Satan first pop up in the scriptures? So most people will turn to Genesis. And they will turn to the part in the Genesis story where Eve is tempted by the snake, the serpent, and they they believe that that serpent is Satan. But that and that is certainly the popular belief, that is what is taught often from the pulpit, from Sunday school classes, Bible studies, things like that. It's become 
sort of um, culturally, Christian culture has sort of assimilated this idea. And as this podcast has pointed out several times, quite often those things are more about the cultural thing that's repeated and passed down over and over and over again. For example, we did an episode about how, you know, it's uh, it's sort of a Christian legend that um, that's repeated every Good Friday that um, that on the cross all the sins of the world were laid upon Jesus and the Father turned his face away from him. There's even a song about it, right? Um, because God, you know, couldn't look upon this great sin that was laid upon Jesus. But you cannot find a scripture verse anywhere in the Bible that ever, ever, ever teaches anything like that. But we believe it, and we believe it because it's just been repeated over and over and over again to the point where we believe that is what happened. But it never happens. There is no scripture that says, A, all the sins of the world were laid upon Jesus. There's no scripture that says, B, that the Father turned his face away. Um, again, this is an, we, you can look back. We've already covered this. I think it was the episode, maybe the second episode, second or third episode, something like Three Lies Christians Believe. So if you want this full treatment of that, on uh, that and a couple other things, uh, check that, epi- the, that episode out. Yeah. So this idea that we have inherited within Christianity that in Genesis, the serpent is the devil is a recent addition. That's a, that's something that got changed and added conveniently to say, oh, here you go. This must be the devil because the devil is tempting Eve. The truth is, that's just a story. It's like a fable, right? It's a, There's a talking snake in the garden, and that snake is never identified with Satan, which is the reason why all serpents everywhere are cursed to crawl in their belly. Um, so God isn't punishing in the story all of these serpents just because Satan pretended to be one, because a lot of Christians think that's what happened, right? That Satan sort of disguised himself as a serpent. Well, you know, if I was the lawyer for the serpents, um, I would say, Your Honor, uh, my client and all of his cousins and brothers and sisters in the serpent world, they didn't do anything. So why are they being, all of them, suffering and punishing to crawl in their bellies when not a single actual serpent actually did anything wrong. It was the devil. So in the story, it's a talking snake. It's not the devil. The devil is not a talking snake. The devil does not appear in that story in Genesis. We have rewritten the story in our minds so that we think that that's Satan, but nowhere ever is identified as that this is the devil. That's something that came much, much later in, you know, in Jewish and Christian thought. So, um, We also can see in the book of Job, so again, I'm talking about this progression, right? So in the book of Job, which, by the way, um, many Jewish scholars and even Christian scholars, Old Testament scholars, um, believe that Job is actually possibly the oldest of all of the books, that, that it was written before Genesis. And so that would make sense because then it's, it's giving us a little more, um, primitive idea of not only about who the devil is, but also a little bit about who God is. So in the book of Job, if you've ever read it, you know that um, the beginning of the story has to do with uh, like how this whole thing gets into motion, is that um, that God is sitting at the council of the gods, which that was an early belief, that there was not just 
God who created all things, Yahweh. But the, that there was Yahweh, but there were other gods. There was a council of other gods that sort of set, got together, I, su I suppose, for regular regular council meetings of some sort or kind. And uh, at any rate, um, there's one of these meetings, and Satan's a little bit late. So he, he, he shows up a little bit late, and they're all like, oh, hey, hey, where you been? God says, where you been, Satan? What you been doing? And he goes, oh, you know, just wandering the earth to and fro. And hey, I noticed this guy, Job, he's, you know, and actually, I'm, I take that back. God is the one who says, hey, have you noticed my my servant, Job? And so God brings him up, right? And then the devil says, oh, yes, I've seen him. But you know what? He seems to really love you. But give give him to me and I will tempt him and I will I will bring him to a place where he will curse you. And that's how that whole thing gets going, right? This little, basically, a, it's a it's a bet between the devil and God. So now, even in that story, it doesn't seem to really fit the, the, the story about Satan that we have now. Because nowadays, most Christians believe that Satan is pure evil. And again, if you take this idea that God is just so holy, God cannot ever be in the presence of sin of any kind, then how in the world is God just hanging out buddy-buddy with Satan and going, hey, bud, what's up? That doesn't seem to make sense if you accept that idea. I don't. <laughs> I don't think that's the biblical idea. But a lot of Christians do, and it fits right into their views of penal substitutionary atonement theory, or just the way they the way they think that God uh, behaves in regards to quote unquote sinners, and God's holiness is defined in this very kind of black and white way. So um, again, but if that's the case, then it doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit that God is just kind of having a conversation casually with, you know, the embodiment of pure evil. Well, that's because at that stage of the game, the devil wasn't the embodiment of pure evil. Um, the devil, uh, again, at this stage of the theological development of uh, the Jewish people, uh, Satan was really seen primarily as a tempter or a tester. What do I mean by that? Um, well, it wasn't necessarily seen as an evil or a bad thing for God to test us or to test our faith. And let me explain what I mean by that. It was, it was seen more as the sense, in other words, being tempted or being, it's probably more accurate to say being tested, although quite often that test took the form of a temptation. But it wasn't seen initially as this evil thing to have your faith tested. So if you think of it in the terms of like, um, you know, let's say you're taking a class, right? If, you, if you're um, taking your final exam in, in your chemistry class or your math class or something like that, right? Just as an example. Well, so all year long, you've been coming to class. You've been taking notes. You've been reading the textbook. You've been taking little quizzes along the way. And then you're coming down to your final exam. And that, that test at the end of the class is simply determining, did you learn what you were supposed to learn? And are you now able to, to pass the class and move on to the next grade or to the next level? That's simply really all it was all about. So it wasn't seen as a bad thing for someone to give you a test. 
it was really just, uh, you know, it was, it was almost expected that, hey, we're all doing our best to, uh, to follow God and to worship God and love God and be in relationship with God and right relationship with God. And, um, and so it was to be expected that now and again, um, God would send someone just to kind of test you and see how you're doing. Are you getting it? Do you know how to, you know, care about your neighbor? Do you practice shalom? Do you treat the stranger in your midst as your own brother? And those kinds of things, right? And that wasn't seen as a bad thing. Um, it was seen as a very natural, normal, and even necessary thing in your spiritual growth and development. In the same way that, again, if I was trying to earn a degree to become a dentist um, uh, or a surgeon, I, I, you know, trust me, you want somebody uh, who uh, is, if they're going to cut into you or dig around in you and, and make some kind of, you know, painful, permanent kind of changes to your body, uh, on the medical level, you want to make sure they have passed an exam or 10 or 20, right? And that they've done well on that test. So in those, in, in that sense, those tests are great things. It's like, that's how you get your certifications and qualifications to say, Hey, I have done it. I've studied, I passed the test and now I am qualified and ready to practice this thing and to do this, uh, well, right? So in that sense, then early on, the devil was simply seen as, think of it like this, like it's sort of, you know, um, he was the guy on God's team who handled, you know, final exams or, or tests, midterms, right? He's the, he's the teacher's aide. Think of it that way. And even in a sense too, I mean, that wasn't out of the ordinary, for the idea to be that, you know, like, let's say, um, Michael, the archangel might have been, um, sort of the, the, he had a job, he had a title and a job and his job was to essentially, uh, you know, lead the Lord's armies or whatever. Um, and then you have Gabriel who's seen more of a messenger. He's the one that God sends to speak to different people and announce that this is God is going to do this, or this is going to happen or prepare for this or that or the other, right? That's Gabriel's job right? And it's a different job than Michael. Um, and then you have, then the devil would just be another angel or another spiritual being or on the council of the gods, um, who had a role to play and a job. So, uh, it's not really until much later, right? That we come up with this idea that Satan is this embodiment of evil. He, his, his, role, his job and purpose is to upset God's plans. He's not working with God. He's not, for example, as many I've heard people say, uh, that Satan is a dog on God's leash. That fits more with the idea of what we see, let's say, in the book of Job. But it doesn't seem to fit what we see, the kind of the role and the, you know, sort of the, the things that we see Satan doing in the way see, we see Satan depicted in more, let's say, New Testament texts, where in that case, what we see is that Satan is the one who's against God. He um, He's doing everything in his power to upset God's plans. He wants to make it more difficult for God's people to accomplish God's plans. He wants to trick them. He wants to um, uh, confuse them. He wants to distract them. He wants to get them off the path, and they then have to resist 
that level of temptation. So in those cases, the temptation is bad because that temptation is really meant and intended not to make sure you're, you've done well. It's not done in the sense to determine whether you are, you know, ready or um, you're well studied or you're paying attention or you're faithful in some sense, which is what we would have seen with, you know, in, in the case of the way the devil was understood in the time of Job. Um, no, it, it sort of became that Satan was the embodiment of this evil force uh, against the goodness of God and the holiness of God. And this is why then you can see, you know, in the New Testament and the Gospels, um, quite often people saying, you know, like Jesus saying to Peter, get behind me, Satan, or uh, the Pharisees saying that Jesus was the son of, of Beelzebub or that he did miracles by the power of Satan. That's what they mean. That that's, At that point, Satan had become this deceiver. And that's different, right? That's a, that's a change. That's a shift. And I would say, and this might be a little controversial, but hey, you made it this far. And if you listen again, as I said to any previous episodes, that this probably won't shock you. But I have just come to the point in my life where I don't believe anymore that Satan is an actual being, that there is no Satan. Like I, Satan couldn't appear to me. Satan couldn't speak to me. Satan couldn't do any of those anthropomorphic things that a person could do. So what, what I'm saying is I don't believe Satan is a singular being who was once an angel and who fell and who now spends all of his time and energy uh, commanding his demons to uh, lead people astray and uh, overthrow the kingdom of God and lead people to ruin or any of those kind of things. I used to think that. Yes, I did. But I, I've come to the place where I I look at this character. I can see that this character of Satan has slowly over time you know, morphed from uh, a, a tester or someone who's had a role to play that was actually in line with God's plan for humanity and then became sort of this antithetical um, adversary, right? Then many times that's what that word Satan means, the adversary. Uh, he's the adversary who's the accuser. The other, the other word is the accuser whose entire you know, desire and point and mission is to to get back at God, to get revenge on God, to hurt God in some way again, as if he was a being who had a who had an emotion, who had desire, who had feeling, and um, needed to get some kind of satisfaction because he feels as if God has uh, ripped him off or or not not given him a fair shake, or just is someone like we see in Isaiah who really is this spiritual being rather than the king of Babylon, as it says, um, who was once an angel and fell and has said, I will ascend and I'm going to go to war with God and all that. So, um, but so I, again, so while I don't see Satan as being a person, or as I said, like a, a sort of a, a personality or a being who personifies evil or anything like that, that doesn't mean that I'm saying that there is no such thing as the accuser. And I'm not saying that there, of course, is nothing, you know, no such thing as evil. Now, of course, of course there's evil in the world. I guess what I'm saying is we don't need a 
satanic person or being in order for evil to exist in the world. The evil exists, the potential, let's say, the potential for evil to be done exists within humanity. Um, but at the same time, the potential exists within humanity for incredible good, great love, great mercy. You know, right? And so um, both of those things are potentially things that we can and often do um, embody. So we can embody the Satan. We can embody that role or that position of the accuser. But we can also embody that role and that position of abiding in Christ so that Christ abides in us. And I think it's really ultimately a decision that we make on a regular basis of in this moment, am I going to be um, an accuser? Am I going to be an adversary? Or am I going to be a Christ-like person who incarnates the the um, the presence of Christ, the love of God, the kingdom of God? Am I going to be someone who lives out of that truth and reality? Or am I going to live out of a different reality that's in complete, you know, the, the complete opposite of that? So, and I've experienced this in different ways. Um, uh, by the way, if you're curious about getting a little deeper into this, and I guess I could I could even do a podcast on this coming up. Um, but Renee Girard, who I, I think I've talked about a couple of times, um, has wonderful, wonderful uh, book on this topic. Well, it's not on the topic of Satan specifically, but it is certainly on the topic of humanity's temptation, if you want to put it that way, or tendency or potential for either living out of this place of being the accuser or living out of the place of, uh, if nothing else, being more like Christ-like, which often um, the Christ-like, you know, path is is quite often the one that suffers and endures the accusation of someone who is an accuser. Those are the scapegoats, right? The ones who get scapegoated, who get who get attacked even though they're innocent, who suffer violence against, you know, from the hands of those who are playing that role of the accuser. Um, so I, it's funny because, and this is, it's actually really bizarre, but twice this has happened to me. So uh, I have a square, I think I mentioned I do this square one and two and three uh, groups and the square three group meets, uh, it's just a Zoom call that we meet every Sunday. So I guess about two years ago, uh, we decided we were going to talk about this subject, the the Satan, and, and decide, you know, let's all hear, let's all come together and let's talk about this. And do we believe in Satan or not? And of course, we're all in different places. We don't all agree. That's fine. It's just it's a stimulating conversation just to hear different people's um, viewpoints and their reasons for why they do or don't believe, you know, in whatever we we discuss. So the topic this time was the accuser, and and during that week. Uh, I think it was the, either the week before or maybe the week after, but I think it was the week before we had the conversation. But it was on my mind. We'd already planned where we were going to talk about it. I I endured this accusation. Someone who I knew publicly made um, these accusations against me, which were not true. And it really screwed me up. It really messed me up. And it took probably at least a month or two before I was able to reconcile with that person and have a call with them and talk about it and work it out and smooth it out. And okay, all right, fine. We're good now, right? Well, here's what's funny. Almost exactly a year later, 
And I didn't know this until I went back and checked. But it was about a year later. I think it was like this almost, yes, the same month and the same week, which is so crazy because we didn't plan it. Um, it came back around again and we people in Square 3 were like, hey, we want to revisit this topic, uh, the accuser again. So I said, okay, great. We'll put it on the calendar. And you know what? The same week I had someone do this same thing where they started accusing me of things that were not true. And isn't it crazy? It was almost like that whole idea of speak of the devil. It was like, well, something's going on here. I can't deny that there is some unexplainable, possibly spiritual thing, supernatural thing going on that I can't explain it. But it seems really odd to me that the two different times, a year apart, that I just decided, you know, or I, I agreed um, with the group that we would have this discussion, it's almost like it created some kind of a target on my back or a magnet or something for that sort of accuser energy to kind of come at me, you know? Gee, I hope that doesn't happen while I'm doing this episode. <laughs> Lord, please. Um, I hope not. So, um, but anyway, I just thought that was really weird and it added an element for me of like, okay. Now, so when I say I don't believe in Satan as a being, I don't. And I guess I would go as far to say that I'm, I'm not even convinced that there are anything like demons or, you know, sort of spiritual beings of uh, darkness or something like that. So, but when I say that, I'm not saying it again from a place of certainty. You guys know I'm, 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 I'm not someone who wants to operate from this place of, listen to me, I'm going to tell you, I'm totally certain, trust me, this is this doesn't exist, as if I know, because I don't. I'm just telling you what I believe where I'm at at the moment. I'm at a place right now where I'm skeptical about whether or not um, there is a Satan or demons or any of that. I don't think that's real. But I could be wrong. I mean, I, I guess I could be proven wrong about it. Um, but, I mean, just to be honest, I... I look back in my life, I have never really had an encounter with a demon, um, something that I would really call a demon. I have a story, actually, but I'll save it for another time. Uh, but I, I had a situation where I thought I was going into uh, like a an exorcism type thing, and uh, me and my friends showed up at this friend's house late at night to, to do what we thought was going to be an exorcism. And um, I'm giving you the short version of the story. Uh, but yeah, we walked in the room and, you know, there's like a weird vibe in the room and there was a girl sitting on the couch over in the corner. I guess I am going to tell you the story. Uh, she was sitting on the couch in the corner and uh, her head was down and the guy whose apartment we were going to, uh, they were, they were having some kind of Bible study. So he opened the door, we knocked on the door, he opened the door, we come in, he's kind of talking in hushed tones and he's telling us, yeah, but, you know, we were having this conversation, and then she started acting really weird, and then we asked her, you know, if there was any demonic uh, forces in her life, and as he's saying this, off to the left, you know, this this girl sitting off to our left on the on the corner of the couch, we hear this low growl, right? We're like, we're all we all the hair on our all of our you know hands and our arms and the back of our necks stands up, and we all take a deep breath, like. My gosh, what have we gotten ourselves into? And he just, but he's real calm. He just keeps talking and uh, telling us, you know, what's going on, what he thinks is going on. And then he, as he continues to talk, the growl from over where this girl is sitting 
in the corner, the growl just continues and continues. It starts to get louder and louder, and we are freaking out. And finally, the guy stops, and he, he turns to the corner, and he goes, Muppy, be quiet. And this little puppy dog runs out from underneath the corner table, um, and it's his dog. So we all just went, ah, okay, and had a good laugh about that. But then, of course, what happened when we sat down with this person, with this young girl, and we asked her a bunch of questions, and we laid hands on her, and we prayed for her in Jesus' name, nothing happened. Nothing happened. There was nothing weird, nothing strange. Now, I'm not saying that strange things don't happen, and you may have a story where you would say, oh, Keith, I have had a demonic encounter. And if you have, then that would maybe explain why you are more convinced that I am. I am not. Um, you know, over the years that Wendy and I used to work with people that were homeless and a lot of people on the streets, I did encounter people who had severe mental illness and they did behave in ways that I know some people would look at and say, this person is demon possessed. But I didn't see that. What, what I saw was a human being who had severe mental illness, who had been in a mental institution, who had uh, medication that they were not taking. And so, again, I'm not convinced. I, I, I just, I see it more as mental illness, behaviors that are strange, but that quite often can be corrected with medication um, and things like that. So I just have never had any sort of direct experience with something that I would say that was a demon. Um, again, maybe your mileage would vary, but I'm just not convinced. I just haven't seen anything that I would say, hands down, absolutely, definitely, this is demonic. Now, back in the day when I did believe in demons, because I did most of my life growing up, I was into the spiritual warfare thing in college. I used to pray in Jesus' name. Once I, uh, once I had my experience where I spoke in tongues, which was like in the 90s, um, I started praying in tongues specifically, you know, for spiritual warfare to like, casting out demons in Jesus' name, and I would use uh, praying tongues, you know, against the principalities and powers and uh, and the demons and all that stuff. And I believed something was happening. I thought I was actually accomplishing something. Um, and I did, again, when I did believe in demonic power and things like that, I did have some weird dreams that uh, at the time I said, these are, this is an attack of the enemy. Those kind of things where you, you kind of, you wake up and you're, you're terrified and you can't move. You physically cannot move and you're trying to move your arms and your legs and you can't, you feel like there's some demonic presence in the room, some evil, and you can't wake up or you can't, or you can't move. Sometimes you're asleep. Like in my case, sometimes I was asleep having a dream where I felt I was being attacked by something demonic or evil. And, uh, and it's only if I prayed in Jesus' name or said the name of Jesus, I could wake up. And I know many people who have said the same thing. Like, yo, yes, Keith, I've had that same exact thing. I've been in that dream state. And then when I, when I can finally say the name Jesus, I wake up. So yes, I've had those kinds of experiences. But here's what I find fascinating. Um, since I stopped believing in demons, since I stopped believing that there was some kind of demonic power or force out there, sort of the good versus evil kind of spiritual demonic force that I had to resist and, and pray against in the name of Jesus and all that. Since I stopped believing in that, you know what also stopped? All of that. <laughs> I, I stopped having those kinds of dreams. I stopped feeling that, oh, I had to say something in Jesus' name to make it go away. Um, and that's what I'm saying. That's what I mean. I think so often in these kinds of scenarios, 
we bring meaning to this to the experience um, that may or may not be there, right? So here's another example, just off the top of my head, right? Um, I mean, I've I've heard stories of people, and I've met some people um, who are, you know, they're they're Hindu or they believe in some other kind of religion or some other kind of God, right? And so I know people have had really positive spiritual experiences, and they would say, oh. There was a being in the room and it spoke to me and answered my prayer and gave me blah, blah, blah. And then they would say, well, that was, that was, uh, Vishnu or that was Ganesh or was it? I'm not saying they didn't have an experience, but again, I would say maybe that wasn't Ganesh. Maybe the fact that they had a, some sort of, some sort of an experience, I'm not doubting that. Of course, you had an experience. I would just say, the way you interpret that experience may or may not be real. The experience is real, but the interpretation you, the meaning that you bring to that experience may or may not be accurate. Does that make sense? So sometimes we can have experiences, good or bad, that we can then define it in such a way through a certain lens that we convince ourselves, well, that was this or this was that. And maybe it is, but I would at least uh, invite you to consider the possibility that maybe it isn't. Maybe it is just what we bring to it. So, um, yeah, I guess I just wanted to do an episode to, to talk about, to acknowledge, first of all, like I said, the understanding and the identity and the purpose and the, and the character and the, and the, you know, sort of the profile of this devil slash Satan character um, is something that we have sort of retconned and redefined backwards to go back to some of these scriptures and um, import sort of meaning uh, into certain things that shouldn't be there, right? The serpent is not Satan. Lucifer is not Satan. Uh, the devil in Job, if that's Satan, it's a very different Satan than the kind that we uh, have been taught to believe in and to accept in most evangelical Christian circles. So um, to just sort of act as if all of those prior mentions of the devil are the same is inconsistent because they are radically different. They are not the same. None of them are. All very, very different. And so um, harmonizing them is, in a way, it's just creating a version of something that isn't really real. Right, it's the version we want, we prefer to believe in, and so therefore we we make it fit. We find a way to make it fit, and uh, I would just encourage you not to do that. I'm sure I'm going to get lots of people after this podcast sending me stories about the this demonic experience that they've had and how the spiritual warfare is real and all that. Again, my and and that's fine if you want to send me those stories. Fine, I'll 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 take the time and I'll read them because I, I I don't want to be closed minded. Um, but it's not as if I haven't heard stories. I've heard many, many, many stories in my lifetime, um, both from people I really know, as well as just, you know, anecdotal stories from people I don't know. Again, I, I, I guess I'm in a place now where, to be honest, when I hear those kinds of stories where I had this experience and therefore this proves this view of demons or Satan, again, I typically fall back on my own experience of those things to say, well, you know, yeah, when I believed in those things, I also had very real experiences um, that, at, you know, seemed to seem to reinforce 
those beliefs and those assumptions about demons and Satan and all that. Um, but now that I don't believe that, I don't believe Satan is real. I don't believe demons and all that stuff. I don't believe spiritual warfare and all that stuff is real. So, um, and since, like I said, since I stopped believing in it, I've stopped experiencing it. And to me, that's is significant. That in itself says something to me. That again, the assumptions that you make about the way the world works and the way, you know, the, the spiritual realm and reality works, um, I think we can have a belief that we bring with us into those situations and then we use that belief to define it in a way that may or may not be accurate. So I hope that's helpful. And I want to thank you again for listening to the Second Cup with Keith podcast. Uh, I love to get feedback. If you have ideas for upcoming episodes, please let me know. Um, I would do my best to accommodate you if I can. Um, please, if you get a chance, uh, follow me on uh, my blog, keithjaws.com over on Patheos. And if you're not a supporter on Patreon, I would ask you to consider doing so. Um, I have different tiers, different levels that you can choose from. The great thing about becoming a Patreon supporter um, of what I do is that, number one, you unlock all kinds of really cool stuff. Uh, I do a weekly newsletter, which has now become a video uh, newsletter every weekend. It's called Imperfect Signals. You get all the behind-the-scenes um, scoop on what I'm doing and what I'm up to, and I'm always doing a whole bunch of things, um, things that are coming up. Uh, if I'm working on a book, and by the way, I'm getting ready to start writing a brand new book, um, but anytime I'm write, working on a new book, not only will you know about what that book is and my thought process and all that, um, as I write different chapters, I often will post them and you'll get to read them before that book is published. Um, I also do a weekly series, a blog series called The Inner Circle. Anyone that signs up at $4 or more uh, automatically will qualify to receive that every week. And that's a weekly blog series. Uh, it's called The Inner Circle, and it's about sayings of Jesus from the Gospel of Thomas. I'm currently teaching a class um, at the University of Texas at El Paso on that same topic, the sayings of Jesus from the Gospel of Thomas. And um, so I'm working on that right now pretty pretty hard, and eventually that will become a book. But you'll get to read those uh, installments, as I said, uh, before I publish it. So uh, that's a great place to go. You can find that on Patreon. And at the same time, I also will write blog posts that are exclusive. I will uh, do interviews that I'll post there uh, with different people that are just for my Patreon supporters. And there's just all kinds of great stuff on there. Some of it funny, some of it silly, some of it serious, um, but all of it pretty uh, stimulating and interesting and fascinating stuff. Uh, so go check it out. It's patreon.com slash Keith Giles. And if you do support me, I do appreciate it. If you already support me, thank you very, very much. I really appreciate that. My wife, Wendy, and I do really appreciate your support, and it does mean a lot to us. Anyway, thank you again so much for listening to this episode of Second Cup with Keith. I hope to see you again uh, very, very soon. Take care, and God bless.